Everybody excited? <laughs> no. Hello and welcome to Elevate Miami Church. How are we doing today? Happy Sunday. I am Shelly McKnight. Pastor Kevin is in Italy today. He will be here next week. Um, but I am the administrative czarina of Elevate Miami Church. And if you watch online um, and you hear Kevin talk about, I know I don't have time, Shelly. I'm not Shelly. So I'm the one that keeps everybody on point sometimes. Um, I just want to give uh, thanks to Pastor Kevin. It's an honor to be before you, and it is a privilege to uh, share in the pulpit, uh, to be able to be here before you today. Um, before I start, I just want to do a quick prayer. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these people. Thank you for what you're about to do through me in them, Father God. Let your will be done. I just pray now, Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We invite you in to have your way. Let your truth be known in Jesus' name. All right, so I want to give you a message of encouragement today. That's what I want to do. I want to encourage you in your life and in all that you go through and everything that you do. If there's one thing I want to do with my life, I have been blessed to grow in the Word of God and to know God and to experience Him. If I could just share that with someone else and allow somebody else to understand His character, understand who He is, understand how He works, that's what I want to do. I just want to share that with somebody else. Um, this past year, especially from the new year on, I'm getting a lot of dingy feedback just for the sound guy, yeah. Um, this past year, when I was, um, you know, from like January on, I really got, I guess you could say stressed, not stressed out, but just a lot was on my plate and I was going through a lot and experiencing a lot. I'm entering a new uh, place in my life. I'm not quite an empty nester. My son is in the army. God bless everyone who has served and is serving in the army, the armed forces, the military. Thank you for your service. Um, my daughter, she's like working on her master's. She's still at home, but I know my days are numbered, you know. And, um, you know, I'm just in this place. I'm shifting. Things are shifting. My schedule's shifting. Everything's changing, you know. And I got to a place in my life where, you know, I'm a planner. I plan. My husband won't even tell me things. He goes, no, because you always want to plan. I'm like, that's right. Got a plan. And I'm a planner. And I was like feeling like I don't have a plan. You know, I'm looking at my life and I'm, it's like I can't see, you know, where I'm going. I don't have a plan, you know, and it's like, I mean, I'm doing what I'm doing. I mean, I work at a church. I don't know if you know that, but I work for a church. So I know what I'm doing is good. I know that I'm serving God. I know that I'm doing good, but I feel like I'm on a treadmill. I feel like I am running, but I'm not getting anywhere, you know, and I'm just giving it all that I've got. And so I'm looking to the Lord every summer I go home. I visit my parents in Pennsylvania, and I'm like, that's the time, God. I'm going to shut off. I get away from work. I get, I get away from everything and everyone, and I will have some alone time, and God, give me some direction because I'm feeling lost. And so, you know, I go home. Um, Maybe some of you don't know this, I was raised Presbyterian. Yes, I was, dignified Presbyterian. So when I go home, I go to church with mom. I go to Washington Presbyterian Church, 
Pastor Alicia Sneed, and I go home. And I go to church with my mom on Sunday, and I'm not really looking for God to talk to me. I'm looking to connect, you know, to my home. I want to see people I haven't seen in forever. What do they look like now? Will they recognize me? You know, I want to, I want to see the pews. I want to walk up the stairs. I want to go through the vestibule and just hear that organ. And, you know, I want to kind of experience home. So I'm not really looking for God to speak to me, oddly, at a church, you know, but he did. And so I'm there and um, Pastor Sneed gave this message about Joseph and where, you know, what Joseph had gone through, the, uh, you know, his life and the struggles that he had. And God really gave me clarity at that point. I was like, wow, God really spoke to me through that message. So hats off to you. Um, so I'm going to kind of give you a history, history of the Bible up until Joseph. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. No, I'm not going to start there. But anyway, God created the heaven and the earth. Everything went awry. God wiped it out with a flood. Everything went awry again. And he decided to show who he was through one man, Abraham. Now, I have grossly condensed Genesis right there. So there's a few details that I skipped over. Please read it for yourself. Catch those details. Um, but he decided to show it through Abraham. And, you know, he, he pulled Abraham away from all of his family and everything and sent him to a land. But, you know, he was struggling to have a child. Um, and he got into his old age and it didn't look like it was gonna happen. And they used the handmaid, Hagar, and he had his firstborn, Ishmael. Um, but then later, Sarah did have a son, Isaac. The promise, though, went to Isaac because he was the son of a promise. He was, God had made a promise and God is all about faith and fulfilling his promises. So the blessing didn't go through Ishmael, the blessing went through Isaac. Isaac in turn had two sons, he had twins. So same mother, same father. But before they were born, before they had lived one minute, before they did anything right or wrong, God chose the younger son and he said the elder will serve the younger. And so the anointing was passed from Abraham down to Isaac, down to Jacob. So Jacob, you know, as brothers do, they, they have issues with each other, but Jacob, a little tricky, he, uh, over a bowl of beans, he took the birthright and then he stole the blessing, prayer of his, of his father that his father wanted to give to his older brother Esau. And Esau was known as a skilled hunter. That's code for cold-hearted killer, all right? Esau liked to kill, and he wanted to kill his brother for taking the blessing that he was gonna get. I mean, he was angry, and Jacob knew it, and Jacob had to flee for his life. And so he flees to his uncle, and he sees Rachel, this beautiful woman, and he falls head over heels for Rachel. And so his uncle says to him, yes, you can have Rachel for seven years of work. And he works those seven years, wedding night comes, he is thrilled to marry Rachel. 
Well, they veiled those girls really well because the next morning it wasn't Rachel that he married. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I worked for Rachel. And he goes, oh, it's not our custom to marry the younger daughter before the older daughter. So just finish the marriage week and I'll give you Rachel for another seven years of work. And so he does it. But you have to realize what he wanted was not two wives. He wanted one. He wanted Rachel. Rachel couldn't have children. And so they got into these birthing wars and the maids came in. And so now Jacob has four women, but he didn't want four women. He didn't want birthing wars. He wanted one woman. And he wanted a family with one woman, the woman he loved. He wanted Rachel. So eventually, Rachel gives birth to Joseph. So Joseph, even though he wasn't the firstborn to his father, that was his firstborn. That was the son that he had wanted all along, and he favored that son. And he gave him, you know, the coat of many colors. And he probably got a higher education, better than all of his brothers. And he was close to dad. He was the beloved son. And the brothers didn't like it. And so they decided to get rid of their brother. But before they did, Joseph had these dreams. Because not only did his father favor him, but God did too. Because God gave him dreams. And he told his brothers, oh, we were all in my dream. We were, we were all binding wheat. And my, all of your bound wheat bowed to my, my bundle of wheat. Not real smart, but it wasn't a sin. You know, and he even told his parents, he goes, oh, I had a dream, 11 stars. And the sun and the moon, you know, gave homage to me. His dad didn't even like it. But clearly, God had chosen him. Clearly. God had given him these dreams to affect his life and you know, bring him forward. And this is what he hoped for. He was the beloved son. Well, the other brothers didn't like this beloved son, and they decided to kill him. Um, but instead of killing him, they sold him. And they sold him um, to the Ishmaelites. And you have to realize that your whole life, you're this beloved son. Your whole life. You were up on this pedestal your whole life. You were the apple of your, your father's eyes, gone. You are now a piece of property, gone. Your home, gone, never to see it again, ever. You are sold. You have been reduced, beloved son, to a piece of property. Does anybody know what it's like to be disrespected? and not treated well, and you've been reduced to a piece of property, to be told what to do, to eat whatever's been given to you, just to have the bottom of the barrel. Beloved son, piece of property. And it reads in Genesis chapter 39, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. An Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord 
was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was all that he had in, uh, I'm sorry, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. He left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So although he was reduced to this lowly position, God was with him and God made him great in the lowly position. But then came Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife uh, wanted to sleep with Joseph. He refused, so she accused him of rape, of attempted rape. And so now he's thrown in prison. Beloved son, piece of property, sexual predator. How's that feel? You know what that means in the United States? If you're a sexual predator, and even if you're not guilty, just being accused of being a sexual predator, most people think you're guilty. So this is his life. This beloved son that was reduced to a piece of property now is incarcerated as a sexual predator. He has no natural hope. He's lost everything, his dignity, his pride, you know? I mean, that's rough. And so it reads the uh, same chapter starting in verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention again to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. God is with you no matter where you go, no matter what you go through. The hope you have in God empowers you to trust, obey, and persevere to his glory. He will see you through. So. Here I am, I'm in Pennsylvania, and I'm listening to Pastor Sneed just explain this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, because see, Joseph didn't know the end of the story. We've heard this story a million times. We know what's going to happen, so we don't read it. You know, it's like an episode of Law and Order. You know, it's okay. You know, we know it's going to work out, you know. But he didn't. He didn't know. At this moment, he had nothing to hold on to. He was empty. I mean, if you're in that situation today, like today, where do you find that hope? And I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, how could he, you know, what was he feeling? He wasn't seeing the way out. He, wasn't, he doesn't know his future. And it's like just blindness. All you see are the walls of the prison. And it's like I'm sitting there and just embracing, like, gosh, I mean, how awful is that? And I feel like God just, like, was in the pew behind me, tapped me on the shoulder. I'm like, yeah, Lord, 
what's up? What's going on? And he goes, you're in a prison. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in a prison. Like I figured it out. I'm feeling the same way. I can't see. I can't see any farther. I can't see anything. I feel stuck. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in a prison. So the title today is getting out of prison. All that just for the title. <laughs> but we're getting out of prison today, you know? But that's what I realized. God told me I was in a prison. So what is a prison? And it's, you know, you know the Webster Dictionary will tell you it's a place where you're awaiting trial or you're, you're the payment you're paying for a crime. But a prison is a state of circumstances that you don't like and you don't want, but you can't get out of it on your own devices, on your own abilities, on your own knowledge, on your own savvy, on your own strength. You are stuck. Anybody ever been stuck? <laughs> Anybody ever feel stuck and you don't know where to go? So that's a prison. Why, what are the advantages of knowing that you're in a prison? The advantage of knowing that you're in a prison is that you understand the fight you're actually in. You know you can shift your fight to um, understand your circumstances helps you to fight harder because you understand where the fight is. See, if there's a door in front of you, and you're trying with all of your might to get through that door. That door has what you want, what you think your life should be. And you're doing everything you have to get through that door. And then somebody says, hey, uh, Daisy, do you realize that your leg is chained to the wall behind you? And you'll be like, oh my gosh. And you look down and there's a chain to the wall. And you're like, that's why I can't get through the door. Because I'm chained to the wall. So your fight. Your focus is no longer on the door. Your focus comes to the chain. Because you're like, I got to get out of the chain to get through the door. And then being in prison, though, you have to be set free because you're locked in there. And so now Jesus has the key to get you out of your prison. So your focus goes from what you're trying to get to the fact that you're stuck to the one who can set you free. You see how that works? And you focus on him and pleasing him because he's the one that's gonna get you out. So it's kind of like, what do you want? You know, if you were in prison, there was a warden, you'd be like, you're my best friend. What's going on? And I wanna please you. I want you to be happy with me because if you're happy with me, you might turn that key and let me go. And your focus goes on the one who can set you free. And it frees you, knowing that you're in a prison, frees you from the exhaustion of trying to get something you can't get because your focus is wrong. You see what I'm saying? So hopefully this, encour this encourages you. So when you know that God's the only one that can get you out, you will focus all your energy and your efforts on him. And it's like, what do you want, Lord? Because he is the game changer. He has the power to change it. When you think about in the New Testament, there's a story of P 
Peter with this great catch of fish. It's Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Day was over. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. He is the game changer. It, it wasn't that Peter, Peter was a fisherman. He had expertise. He knew how to fish. This is what he did his whole life. He has a great resume. He has great socioeconomic status about being a fisherman. He probably had on the right attire. He probably had great social media accounts. He had the experience. He knew how to fish, but it didn't make a difference. What made the difference was that God was there. He needed God's presence. And when he had God's presence, when he had God's grace, when he had God's direction and his timing, and realize the first thing that God did was he used that fishing boat as a vehicle to give a message to the people. Do you see? It wasn't to get him the fish. It was to honor the Lord. And first he honored the Lord by letting God step in his boat. He gave the message. And then after God did what he wanted to do, he turned around and said, now let me bless you. He was the game changer. And in your life, you need a game changer. You need a game changer. The disciples caught in the storm. He's in a boat. The storm, they're, they're, they're frantically trying to get through the storm. They're going to drown. It's a big storm. Jesus is asleep in, in the boat. And they wake him up and they say, Master, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to die? And he gets up, you know, wipes the sleep out of his eye. And he commands the wind and he commands the rays. And everybody else is like, oh my gosh, this, what kind of guy is this? He commanded the winds and the waves and they obeyed him. I mean, who is this Jesus? He's a game changer. No matter what storm you're in, he, he's a game changer. Um, the woman with the issue of blood spent everything she had. She tried for years to rid herself of the sickness that was in her. She spent all that she had, but one touch of the hem of that garment, game changer. The demonized man, there was no helping him. He was stuck, just tortured with demons. But Jesus came in, set completely free. Game changer. What you need is the game changer in your life. So how do we get out of a prison? How do we fight? Because the fight is in your soul. The fight 
is in your mind. It's not in the flesh. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling here. It's a mental fight. The first thing you have to do, and this is, you know, this is what Joseph did, is you have to have hope. Joseph had no natural hope whatsoever. There was nothing for him. He had, he had no family to come visit him. He had no wife to see about him, no children to care. He had no advocate. He had no visitors. He was a foreigner. He wasn't Mirandized. He didn't have any habeas corpus. There was no due process. He was arrested of a heinous crime by a high-ranking official in a land where he wasn't even like what we consider a citizen. What, there was no natural hope, but he had hope. Because when you have no hope, you give up. But he had hope. He was trained in who God really was. And he had dreams that kept him going. God has spoken to you. If you need a promise from God, there's a book. It's called the Bible. And there are 66 books in that book full of promises for you. They are for you. If you are a believer and you are following Jesus, every promise of God is yes and amen. Find your promise. Stand on it because God doesn't lie. And somehow in that, knowing that nobody was coming for him, nobody was fighting for him, nobody was praying for him, he had hope. But that takes a relationship. You need to know who God really is. You need to know his character. When you read the Bible, there are so many stories and you learn who God is. You learn his character. You learn his personality. We are made in his image. We have personality. Everyone in this room has a personality. What is God's unique personality? Do you know? Read the stories. You'll see it. What does he love? What makes him happy? What grieves him? What really angers him and fries his potatoes to a crisp? How do you know that? You have to study him and you learn him and you learn his character. Do you ever like talk to somebody and they'll say, oh, you know, Joe, you know, he just talked to me all rude and, you know, he did this. And it's like, Joe, it's like, no, you don't, you don't really know him. You know, when people try to say, oh, she said this and she was just rude. It's like, no, I know that person and she wouldn't say that. I know that man. He wouldn't do that because you know his character. You know their character. You need to know God's character. Because when people say things about your God, you'd be like, no, that's not my God. I don't know who you're talking about. My God comes through. My God doesn't lie. I can count on my God. This is who he is. And you can stand. You can know him. But you have to take the time to learn who he is and not just a story, but like to feel like you, you know who he is. And you can count on him because when you have a dependable person in your life, you can count on them. And God is more dependable than the most dependable person you've ever met. But you have to know it. It takes a relationship. And it also takes, um, it takes you growing um, in that touch of the Holy Spirit. You have to learn to listen to that guiding spirit. Jesus left, 
And he said, I go so that the comforter can come. The Holy Spirit is a GPS within you. And it leads you and it guides you. And just like you cannot follow the GPS in your car because you swear you know a better way, you can do the same with the Holy Spirit GPS. But you have to learn to listen to him leading and guiding you. And the more you listen to it and follow him, the more sensitive you will become to his leading. So you have to develop not only his character, understand who he is, but listening to the spirit within you. Amen? All right. And, um, oh, I had missed a couple of things, but that's okay. Sorry, lost my place, but I'm good now. Okay, so God is always working on your behalf and creating perfect situations to bless you and to bring you out. God, uh, Pastor Kevin talks about hypomeno, which is the word translated in the, in the Bible to patience, and it is enduring through the pain. That's what hypomeno, you keep going even though it hurts. Hypomeno, it's, that's the word they translate late to patience, but God is always working on your behalf, creating situations just for you. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those that are the called, that love the Lord. Everything, all things work out for your good. All things, he's always working things out for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, they're good. They're going to give you an expected end. You can count on that. They'll promise to you. You can count on that. You don't know the end of your story, but you know the character of God and you can stand on that. Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a promise to you, Christian that you can count on. The second thing that Joseph did to get out of his prison was he walked in integrity, he walked in humility, he walked in love, and he followed the Spirit. You know he walked in integrity because when he was in Potiphar's house, he moved to the top and he was in charge of everything. And you don't get that position where somebody leaves you alone to run their whole estate without integrity. He did the same thing in the prison. He, he walked in integrity. He walked in humility. Remember, this was a beloved son. His dad had money. He, he knew the higher things, but when he was in the first, uh, his first prison, when he was enslaved, what did he do? He didn't fight it. Oh, I don't need to do this. I'm better than that. He did what he was told and he did it well. He did it in the prison. He didn't deserve that either. And even when he got out, you know, he didn't have any type of revengeful feeling. He, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Second service is always different from first service and the people are different and it throws you off. It's like a different feel and I'm trying to feel it right now. Just trying to go with it. So forgive me, I, I'm sorry. So. Um, he walked in integrity, he walked in humility, and he walked in love because he was put in charge of the other prisoners. 
And when they looked sad, he ministered to them. He didn't minister to them thinking, oh, if I do this, I'm getting out of prison. He just genuinely ministered to them. They looked sad. And he said, why do you look sad? You know, what's going on? How can I help you? And he said that while he's in prison, he's ministering while he is in prison. They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret him. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So not only was he willing to minister to him naturally, he's like, these belong to God and I have a gift and I'm going to use my spiritual gift. Although I'm in prison, although I'm locked up, God gave me a gift. Although I'm in pain and I'm in a situation that I don't want to be in, I have a gift and I am going to bless you. And you have to realize he didn't know what the dreams were. He didn't know that the dreams were the key to him getting out. He just was a good guy. He just loved and he used what he had in his prison. Amen. All right. So he recognized and took advantages of the opportunity that God brought him. And this is important because you have to discern God's opportunities. Every opportunity that comes to you is not God. Every opportunity that comes to you is not necessarily God. Acknowledge the Lord in all thy ways and he shall direct your path. You must acknowledge the Lord. You have to find out what is God's path for me in order to navigate yourself out of the prison. Peter tried to get Jesus not to go to the cross. When Jesus told his disciples, hey, you know, coming to Jerusalem, some bad things are going to happen to me. I'm going to be tortured and I'm going to die. Peter's like, no way. There is no way that is going to happen to you. And Jesus could have been like, you know, that kind of sounds like a good idea. Maybe I don't have to go to the cross. But Jesus turned his back to him and said, get thee behind me, Satan because you mind the things of man and not the things of God. There are people in your life that love you and they want you to excel and do wonderful things. And they're gonna give you advice based on minding the things of man. You have to mind the things of God. You have to discern what God wants you to do. The apostle Paul, In Acts, twice in the Bible, prophets came to him saying, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. Don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem because you're going to be arrested. But he was like, but that's where God is sending me. And you have to understand, these were prophets, and they were accurately prophesying, but then they were putting their own twist on it saying, don't go. They were prophesying correctly, but you have to listen to God about where you're to go. The demoniac legion that was delivered from all of the demons, after he got delivered, he came to Jesus, and that's in Luke chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. He said, let me follow you. Now, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound wonderful? It sounds holy and godly. Jesus had had already chosen 12 disciples, so he clearly wanted people to follow him. The rich young ruler, he clearly said, sell everything, follow me, but he didn't want to do it. Here's the, 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 the demoniac going, I want to come with you. Jesus said, no, 
I don't want you to come with me. I want you to go home, and I want everybody to see what God did and testify of me. And that's what he did. So everything you think of can be godly, it can be good, but you have to bring it before the Lord to be able to discern what God is giving you. Another thing that happens about these opportunities that come to you is that when you're stuck, when you're in prison for a long time, it takes a toll. If you've been stuck for a long time, it takes a toll. You feel fatigued. You feel like you can't go on. I'm too old, man, you know, I'm over 50, man. I don't wanna do that now, you know? I'm tired now, I'm old now, I'm fat now. You know, I don't wanna do it, you know? When I had the chance, like even Moses, when Moses was young, he killed that Egyptian because he wanted to lead the Jewish people out of their Egyptian captives, and then he had to run for his life, and then he was in the desert for 40 years, and then when he was 80, God said, okay, now I'll go back and set my people free. He said, 80, he's like, 80, 80? Not 70 or 60, but 80, you know? And that's what happens. When you are stuck for a long period of time, you get comfortable, you get tired. And when that door that God brings you, sometimes you don't take it because it's like, oh gosh, now I got all this. I gotta clean the toilet, God. I got laundry, you know? And this is what you want? But that's when you have to follow because we walk by faith and not by sight. And if God has opened a door for you, if he's made a, given you a vision, he's giving you the provision, and if God is opening the door, even though you're tired, even though you're old, even though you're fat, and you have to do the laundry, you have to follow God because we walk by faith and not by sight. Joseph could have easily found excuses not to go. When Pharaoh had the dreams and he called him from the prison, he could have said, oh, another rich Egyptian, here we go. You know, he could have been like, nah, you know, I'm in prison, I'm never getting out, I don't have to go. But he didn't, he discerned this was his time and he took it. Okay, next, one other thing that you, another thing, the fourth thing that you have to do is you have to let go of your need for vindication or validation. You gotta let that go. We all get hurt. Has anybody ever been lied on? You talk about fighting words. You know, if somebody lies on you, somebody stabs you in the back, somebody just treats you like dirt, especially if it happened in the church, not this church, but wherever, you know, but if it happens, it hurts and it burns you. And you know what you do? You tell everybody, you know what that person did to me. Did, I know I probably told you this before, but do you know what that person did to me? And you keep stewing and brewing and stewing and brewing over something you can't even change. And you keep all that anger and you, you, you just keep it. And it's a prison within a prison. Because now God can't help you because you're blocking it. Let it go. You have to let go of 
vindication and being vindicated and somebody hearing about your praying and, and hearing about what happened to you, just, just let it go. Follow God. Nowhere do you see Joseph going on and on and on and on about why he shouldn't be there. He just made a lemonade with those lemons. And he did the best that he could, but you have to let that go. The, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, our debts for our debtors. What that means is forgive us in the exact same manner that we're forgiving other people. I'll say it reverse. Only forgive me if I've forgiven everybody of everything. It's like, whoa, you mean that God will forgive me? Because that's what you're saying. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. You just gotta let it go. God's wiped your slate clean. Just drop all your slates. Just let them go. And let go of being the need to be recognized, that validation. Some people go around with their resumes. Oh, I can do that. I did that. I've I've done that. Yes, I'm qualified. Oh, I've done that. And blah, blah, blah. And they're always telling you. It's like they want you to recognize them. You don't need somebody else to recognize you. Proverbs 18, 16. Your gift will make room for you. Matthew 5, 5. The meek will inherit the earth. You don't have to toot your own horn. God put it in you and God's going to bring it out of you. Lastly, embrace and pursue your assignment. Let go of everything that's not part of your future, including fear. In the Bible, you'll hear the story of Elijah as he passes the mantle to Elisha. Elijah was great prophet. And here he is passing his mantle, meaning, Elisha, you're next in line. You're going to be the man. You're the next one. And when when he came to Elisha, Elisha was farming. He had 12 yoke of oxen, and he's farming. And here comes Elijah to give him the mantle. You know what Elisha does? He takes the yoke of oxen, sacrifices it, takes the yoke that has them together, you know, to set the fire, and he gives a sacrifice. And it's like, wait a minute, you just destroyed that. He goes, no, I'm not coming back this way. I'm not a farmer anymore. You see? He just burned it. He burned what he was doing. You have to let go of what is not a part of your future. If God has called you to be a missionary, being a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model should not be something you pursue. You see what I'm saying? Take inventory of yourself. What are you striving for that's not a part of your future? God has given you a future. God is calling you to a new arena and who you were doesn't fit. Don't waste your time pursuing what God doesn't have for you. Embrace the new call. One thing, like this is what Paul said. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. He said, not only that, but I consider everything a disadvantage in comparison with the supreme value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It was because of him that I gave up everything and regarded all as garbage in order to gain Christ 
and to be found in union with him, not having any righteousness of my own based on legalism, but have that righteousness which comes through the Christ, through Christ's faithfulness, the righteousness from God based on trust. Yes, I gave it all up in order to know him. That is to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings as I am being conformed to his death so that somehow I might arrive at being resurrected from the dead. It is not that I have already obtained it or already reached the goal. No, I keep pursuing it in the hope of taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Guess where he was when he wrote that? Prison. He was in prison. But you have to let go. And, and a lot of times in life, um, you, you know, there's people that it's like, well, everything is okay with my life and everything is good. I just want God to fix this one thing over here. I'm good. I don't need all that. I just need God to fix this one thing. God is not a handyman. He doesn't come into your life, fix your dishwasher, and leave. That's not who he is. God is not a handyman. God is is a great God and he's a great king. And if you want to be with him, you join his army and you leave everything that you are and you live where he says you live, you do what he says that you do, and then he provides for you within that realm. He doesn't step in and fix A and B like a handyman. You step into him and the provision is there. So today, if you belong to Jesus, and you're in prison, you feel stuck. Don't focus on the door. Is one uh, Pastor Sherry was talking to me, and uh, she said she was ministering to this young man, and he's like, you know, he wanted this from God, and he wanted this from God, and she said, you don't pursue the stuff, you pursue the assignment. Pursue the assignment. And that's what we need to focus on. We pursue the assignment. So if you're stuck, know this. Focus on the one who can set you free. God is with you. His promises are sure. He knows exactly where you are and how to get you out. Trust him and trust his timing. If you were kidnapped and nobody knew you were kidnapped and you were taken 12 stories below the earth and nobody knew you were there, God will cause an earthquake to reveal where you are. God can get you out. He knows where you are. You don't have to, you know, try to get him to know where you are because he knows. Trust that he loves you. Trust that he knows. Fight by walking in integrity, humility, and love. That's how you fight. You're in a bad place, but you can have integrity, you can have humility, and you can walk in love. Stay close to the Holy Spirit, sensitive to his leading, so you can recognize and take advantage of the opportunities that he brings to you. They are coming. They are coming. Let go of stewing and brewing and getting recognized. Just let it go. God knows. Let go of the old you 
embrace the future God has designed just for you and pursue your assignment. That's how you get out of prison. This week I was, um, I read the book of Ruth and I already had, you know, I knew where my message was going. And as I'm reading Ruth, I'm like, oh my gosh, Ruth was in a prison. Ruth had left her land, her husband was dead, she decided to stay with her mother-in-law. There was no hope that she would ever, young woman, ever get married again. To live with the widow meant that she was gonna beg for the rest of her life, gleaning fields just to get enough food. That's a prison. She was stuck. She had no hope. Again, we know the end of the story. She didn't. And in that moment, she chose a life of begging to stay with her mother-in-law. She was stuck. But she had a hope. There was something about this Jewish woman, Naomi, her mother-in-law, and, and she believed in it. And, and she said, whatever life is without you, I'd rather have life with you. And there was some type of hope there that she held on to, and she followed. That's why she went with Naomi. And she walked in integrity because everybody knew, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. Everybody bragged on what type of person she was with her integrity, her humility. She gleaned. She went and she gleaned in those fields. And she walked in love. Again, the love for her mother-in-law. She didn't walk close with the spirit, but she did walk close to the wisdom that her mother-in-law gave her because her mother knew about Boaz and he was a kinsman redeemer and he could redeem her and she gave her wisdom. Naomi gave Ruth wisdom and how to pursue him and she followed it. She said, take a bath, take a bath, put on some smell good, put on that dress, go to him at night and stay at his feet. And when he sees you, he will tell you what to do. And she did it. Just like Peter might not have thought that, you know, it's like, Jesus, weren't you raised a carpenter? You don't know anything about fishing, but he trusted. And at his word, he dropped down the nets. And at her word, she trusted that Naomi knew what she was doing and she did exactly what Naomi did. And when he woke up, you know, she had the courage to step into what, um, what was promised, what she hoped for. And she said, spread your garment over me, marry me. I forgot to mention, when, when, when Joseph was before Pharaoh, after he had had the dreams and he interpreted the dreams, he took courage. He let go of who he was, he shaved. Remember Pastor Kevin told you that when you shave, Jewish men don't shave, but he shaved. He let go of who he was but he also took the courage to pursue something. He interpreted the dreams, and after that, he could have just, I did my job, and just sat there, but he took courage, and he said, Pharaoh, this is what you need to do. Take 20%, save it for over these years, put a good man in charge, one that you trust, to oversee everything. And again, he didn't know that he was gonna be chosen to do it, but he did, he voluntarily just loved, he walked in integrity, he let it go, and he took the courage to take that. And we have to take courage 
When God opens a door for you, take it and take courage. You were given that opportunity. God gave you that opportunity. You are equipped for it. Take it. Go for it. Go big or go home. Just go for it. If he hadn't said that, he might not have been chosen, but he took courage and he went for that opportunity and he went hard and he went strong. And that's what we need to do. If God is with you, and he is, we're not like everybody else. Jesus is with us and we have him and we need to take hold of it and trust in it and move. You take courage. Ruth took courage. She didn't stew and brew about being where she is. Oh, I was, when I was over in Moab, do you know what I had? I had cars, I had this. She didn't stew and brew. She didn't say her qualifications. She accepted it. She let go of everything, of what she was, and embraced her new role. So Ruth also did that. And Ruth, God had a ram in the bush for her. God has a ram in the bush for you. You don't know the end of your story. And right now, you can't see. Right now, you feel stuck. But you don't know what's going on. You don't know where the ram is. We don't know the timing. But we have to hold on and get out of this prison because God has the key. So I want you to say with me, I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. And I just want you to say this, say, I am loved. Say that again. I am loved. Now I want you to say, because of what Jesus did on the cross, I am worthy. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, I am worthy. And I want you to say, my redemption is coming because your redemption is coming. God is faithful, God is true, God has given you promises and you can hold on to him. Walk in integrity, walk in love, take opportunities, let go of who you were, let go of stewing and brewing, let it go and have courage. God is gonna bring you out, look to him. So um, I'm gonna pray for you. Um, if you don't know the Lord, let me just first pray. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ before, and you're like, I want that provision. I want a God on my side. I want a God that's going to take care of me, that I don't have to worry about where I am. Um, we're going to say a prayer. It's not the exact same prayer that Pastor Kevin uh, usually gives, but just pray with me. So um, people at home or people in the house, if you've never been saved, you can say this. I want to be a part of your kingdom, Lord. Forgive me and come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I give you all that I am. And I receive all that you are. From this day forward, I will let go of who I was and follow you. In Jesus' name. Okay, we're going to have prayer people available for you if you want to get prayer after service. But uh, if you could just stand to your feet, I just want to pray over you one last time. I really hope you got something out of this. Uh, I do. I hope that you were blessed. But let, let me just pray for you now.
So just open your hearts. Father God, I just give you glory and I give you honor and I thank you for all that you are, God. I pray now that your presence and your spirit would fill your people in this place. To fill the people at the sound of my voice, God, that they would feel you in your heart. Feel you, God. 